Welcome to In Between, where you'll hear stories, conversations, and hard-earned wisdom to help you navigate the space that lies in between where you are and where you're going. I'm Heather Ashley Baker. What happens when two fast-talking, Gilmore Girl-loving, Brene Brown fangirling podcasters get together for an interview? We talk about a diverse range of topics that include maintaining friendships over time, diversity, what it means to be ready for anything, feeling difficult emotions, and of course, Gilmore Girls. My guest, Jay, is the co-host of the In Omnia Paratus podcast and is in the middle of a self-professed quarter-life crisis. To calm her anxiety, she rewatches Gilmore Girls, reads a self-help book, typically by Brene Brown, of course, and bakes. In this current stage of life, she's working on learning and unlearning societal norms and hurtful self-talk in hopes of being a happier and healthier human for the world. Here's my conversation with Jay. Hey, Jay, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So good to talk to you. I'm so excited to have you. You too. Thank you for doing it all the way from Australia. That's still like such a weird thing because we've only known each other virtually to think you're all the way across the world. I know. It is pretty cool. And I was realizing that actually so many of my good friends and contacts, like people that I speak with on a regular basis, I've never actually met in person and they're not in this country for the most part. So it's pretty fun. Was that a pre-pandemic thing or just a during and post? It was a little bit before and during as well. The majority of that started at the beginning of 2020 and then the pandemic hit. So I think it was just sort of continuing that trend, which it feels like most of the world really did. But yeah, I've met a lot of really great people, including yourself, because we're both podcasters. Do you want to talk about your podcast and share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Jay. I'm from California. My podcast is co-hosted with my good friend, Angela, called In Omnia Paratus, which means ready for anything in Latin. We took it from one of our favorite shows, Gilmore Girls, which is one of the iconic, my favorite episode involving the Life and Death Brigade, which is a secret society at Yale, and basically ends with everyone jumping off like a two-story building with umbrellas in a big elaborate stunt to celebrate life. We bonded over the show, and then we kind of took that into our lives with this whole kind of crazy year, the phrase being ready for anything. We actually were going to name our podcast something different, but then there was a bunch of media things about the 20th anniversary of Gilmore Girls right around when we were thinking about it. And I made the name switch. I was like, let's do this instead because I think it's going to be more encompassing of where we are in life, where we're headed, where we want to do and gives us flexibility of topics to talk about. I turned 25 in October, so I'm experiencing the quarter life crisis that I think a lot of people are facing. I hadn't heard the term. I only had heard of midlife crisis. And then the closer as I've gotten older, I feel like the crises have gotten earlier and earlier because I think we're luckily more self-reflective and more kind of reflective of what we're going through and like thinking about it but then also it weighs on you a lot more because it's happening a lot sooner than expected and I'm in my 30s now so I'm trying to think about when I was in my 20s but I think I've experienced a lot of changes for sure in my 30s and 
I almost feel like my 20s were like a little more calm. (laughs) And then in my 30s, it just opened wide up because I think most of the pivotal experiences in my life probably happened in my 30s. But it's interesting because, yeah, in your 20s, you're really kind of figuring out what you want to do and who you want to be. And then I realized that like that doesn't ever actually change. You're always figuring that out. I remember reading in Michelle Obama's book how she said one of the questions she hates the most that is asked to young people and asked to anyone is what are you going to be or what are you going to be when you grow up it's like you don't ever officially grow up there's no date time where you kind of make a finite decision that you have to stick with and I think that really has to do with kind of the generational differences and the way things are moving one fact that I recently learned is I think millennials and younger most people will have 12 jobs before 40 which is just not the way previous generations were raised and the way we were taught going into the workforce and going into life things were going to be but with things moving so fast with technology climate change so many issues that weren't really at the forefront in the past for generations are for us so we're really i don't want to say starting from scratch because i think obviously history got us to where we are now but a lot of opportunities and things just just didn't exist now do and as great as that all is it's also a bit of decision fatigue I feel like for a lot of people yeah I think that's a good way to put it there are so many more options now like things that you can do and I think maybe culture is like society is becoming more open-minded in terms of what paths people take because there are so many more options available like when I was in my 20s things like Facebook and Pinterest were just starting like doesn't even seem like it was that long ago but all this technology and these opportunities that have come from technology have really just arisen in the last decade. I saw this video yesterday on this thing I'd never heard of called like the Bloit study for incoming freshmen and it's something that college admission essay readers use to kind of get gauge where that class coming in is so this year it's the class of 2023 and a few of the facts that stood out to me were people in this class always think of a phone's first purpose to take pictures 9-11 is a historical event and face recognition technology has always been used in public spaces and that's just like that's the norm for this class of 2023 and the perspective they're coming from So like even for me who started college in 2013, like a lot has changed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it would have a lot. It just, it's moving so quickly. Okay. So what did you study in college and what are you doing now? That's a great question. That is a great question. I graduated with a marketing degree. I always wanted to get into business and marketing somehow. And then after college, I got an internship in social media that frankly just didn't mesh well the company didn't I feel like I was a bit thrown into an environment I wasn't ready for and kind of talked down to a lot and told I was misunderstanding things and I feel like the direction wasn't clear I obviously had some role in it but the internship I ended up getting let go early which was definitely a little bit traumatizing being your first thing out of college and then on top of that in an industry I thought I wanted to be a part of kind of scared me so I ended up getting a retail beauty job for holiday just so I could have money to buy gifts and I ended up staying there for a few years one I love the people two I love the discount and three it fortunately let me pay off my student loans which is a huge problem I didn't have I didn't have very much debt so I don't 
want to be like the spokesperson for the fact that I did that because I have the fortune that I still get to stay at home I wasn't paying bills and being completely self-sufficient so I don't feel right being like let me tell you how I paid off my student loan so fast because if everyone had the privilege of moving home and not paying bills I'm sure a lot of other people wouldn't be in the position they're in but it gave me that financial freedom that I was really looking for just because I think the faster I could get rid of it not knowing when my next job was going to be or what I was going to do just like really was a weight off for me and then so I stayed there until the pandemic and right around then is when I was going to look to transition to more of a corporate job in marketing or operations was something I actually started learning about when I was in retail that I didn't realize would be a strength of mine I do love organizing but I didn't really see how it would fit in the workplace then the pandemic hit So fortunately, my company was really well. They paid us through August before we found out our store was officially closing, like closing, closing down. When the news finally hit, I wasn't too shocked. I've been looking for work since then. And then part of my groundhog day of quarantine was the idea to start a podcast. It was kind of a good combination of learning kind of social media marketing, diving back into website development. I always love to make travel montages anyway. So editing was something I already could do pretty much and it was something I had gotten more into listening to podcasts and I have a lot of opinions on a lot of things so I thought I would just try to carve out my own little space to start speaking them into the universe. That's awesome. I started my podcast during lockdown and COVID last year as well and how would you say college prepared you for the real world? There are certain things that college does well I mean my experience I think of a lot of what I got from college wasn't from the actual classroom it was from what I had to learn I moved about eight hours away from home but like a one like an hour flight um I had family down in SoCal where I went to school so it was a thing of I can have family come visit if I am like in the hospital like right away but no one could come to my doorstep on a given day just to say hi which was kind of the distance I wanted from my family and people I knew just to kind of start over and through that distance there are a lot of kind of internal things I had to start learning and realizing which I think I got academically I think I was right in college at the point of transitioning marketing was really going from advertising to social media and I think I just kind of unfortunately the curriculum hadn't matched with where society was we will we were still learning how to do commercials and magazines and things and then the next year like paid ads on Instagram and YouTube and YouTube partnerships were getting much much bigger and I hadn't had to do anything like that in class I had to do all of that research and external certification things on my own yeah I don't think that the curriculum I guess I can't really speak for it currently but but when I was in school, I don't feel like it was keeping up with the times. And my bachelor's degree is in theater. Then I went back to school a few years later and did a degree in graphic design. When I was in that program, and this was years and years ago, but I already knew that what they were teaching us in that program was outdated. And it's hard to keep up with it. But I totally agree with you that if you go away from home, especially, you're getting like your first taste of independence and you're still a little bit like in a college bubble, but you're still sort of starting to learn how to live on your own. Because I went about the same distance as you. I was about, about nine, nine, ten hours away from home. 
it wasn't too far, but it was far enough to get that experience of living away from home. And I think that that was really a foundational experience for me that set me up really well for the rest of my adult life, even though I definitely was in like a college bubble in my on my campus. (laughs) But I had my own car and I did a lot of stuff away from campus. And so I was pretty independent, which sounds like very similar to your experience as well. And I think sets you up really well into adulthood. Definitely. It's not that I don't think I could have learned those lessons otherwise, but I feel like college towns and living on campus and living with people your own age, it's something really weird I realized as I was graduating, never again in life will you be surrounded by people going through almost like a parallel experience, but slightly different than you are. And that's all the people you're surrounded by. And that's actually really comforting, which I wish I had thought about before I was about to graduate and leave about all of those relationships and all of those people that I was getting to know and making friendships with. One of the things that sucked the most is because I moved home when I went to school in Southern California was that I had spent four years making these great friends who I'm still friends to to this day and then leaving and having to come back. And fortunately, I did have friends who went to high school with me who I'm still good friends with. But it was definitely a change because even though we were still friends and are good friends, there was a four-year gap of time where we saw each other on breaks and holidays and now not that we're not close, but it's like the closest I had with the other people was different and none of these people understand that experience that I don't understand their experience. So it's almost like restarting a friendship and it's really odd. It is. It definitely felt the same way when I went away. And a lot of my friends stayed around Minnesota and around the Twin Cities. So it was very strange. You go away and you have this different experience and everyone's having their different experiences. And then you have to come back together and figure out whether your friendship is still in the same place where you left off. Definitely. One of the biggest realizations I had after my freshman year of college with my high school friends was we need to do new things together because for a lot of that fall semester, fall quarter, when we would hang out again, it was us relying on what we had done for the past four years in high school, even though for the last year, as much as we were catching up, none of our stories included anyone else. So it was trying to realize like, we can't just rely on the fact that like three years ago, we would get ready for prom. It was like, we need to continue to do new things in these times together because you can't just sustain a friendship on its past which is something I'm grateful I learned so like when I was 18 but it's definitely something like that you I didn't realize would be so hard like even my friends now from college who I still talk to regularly it's not in a bad way but it's effortful to remember oh something funny happened I should text them about this because if you go too long without conversation it gets weirder and weirder and then It's a hard balance between we used to text about every little thing from what we were eating to breakfast to like what to what shirt we were going to wear to go out to texting once a month. It's like, oh, what's new with you? Well, it's the pandemic, so nothing's new with me. And trying to balance all of these different communication styles and ways to talk to each other and stay friends. Oh, that's so interesting because it really does change. It's so like easy. Almost it feels more effortless when you're just together every day in high school like you're saying you just text each other hey what are you wearing today and you're all sharing the same experience essentially or similar or you know or different versions of the same experience I guess and you're with each other each day to take that in together as you get older you really have to learn 
you have to be more intentional and you have to balance adult responsibilities with your friendships and you communication styles and different experiences that everyone's now having going their separate ways and do you find that some of your friendships have gone different directions from some of your friends because of that or have you been able to maintain it definitely I think my friends from high school and college I have maintained gratefully from middle school to high school there was a bit of fluctuation but I've always been someone going to really early childhood I didn't have the best job making friends I was a bit controlling and too bossy even for like a sassy five-year-old and so once I kind of got through that part of it all and was actually able to make solid friends I always had four to six great friends and we would do everything together our families would hang out and that's how I've always been I've never been someone who had like 30 friends casually I've had like six four to six great friends and that's still how it is my three good friends from high school I'm still good friends with my college like eight to ten friends I'm still good friends with because I mean I'm not going to take full credit but like I pick good people but it's something that I invest a lot in other people and people who aren't really interested in that kind of friendship I kind of read and I just don't invest as much and like we'll see each other in class we'll see each other this way but it's not an extensive friendship as opposed to people who are similar to me, who want to maintain a friendship, speak regularly, talk, have lasted the test of time. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I invest a lot into my friendships and relationships as well. And you're right, you look for people who can be on that level. But I think when you're younger, when I was younger, I definitely didn't realize that as much. And then going through college and then the older I got, I was like, okay, I think you start to realize what kind of people you want in your life and that you don't really have time for people who aren't going to be there or are willing to be intentional or put in the same investment. And that's not to say that you, you can still have acquaintances or realize maybe what levels your friends are on. And there's certain people that you know are going to, you're going to invest in and they're going to invest in you and you're going to be, you're going to be your closest friends. And then you're going to have those people where you just know you're not going to spend as much time investing in that relationship when you're working and you've got all these other responsibilities it's just like you really only have time for the the ones that are going to be the most healthy like nurturing relationships definitely I think that with my friends it's also about being okay reestablishing where those lines are I know throughout high school and college I was someone who always wanted to make plans I would hang out with people every weekend every hour if I could I'm very extroverted I've become a little bit slower like maybe one out of the two days but if I could I'd hang out with someone at least once a day for like four days out of the week because it's what gives me energy I love hanging out with other people but also understanding where my friends are coming from more recently a lot of people are realizing they're more introverted than extroverted because the way that we're taught in society what extroverted and introverted are are not actually accurate to what they mean so they're realizing they're a lot more introverted so realizing that it's okay to reevaluate plans because if they're always making plans with me because they know that's what I want and they're being exhausted four days out of the week and then getting grumpy or to the other extreme where I'm just not seeing them and they're like, oh, well, no, we're good. It's like, but I need to see you to know we're good. It's just about reestablishing those things, which is also something that's really odd when you've been friends for someone like for 10, 15 years. One of my longest friends from middle school, we've been friends since we were 10 we've been friends for more than half of our lives and realizing that things change what things need to change is a really odd situation because in one person in one way you see who they are now but another way you still remember them from when we were both 10 
So it's an odd, it's an odd thing. Yeah. You really just, as people evolve, your relationship has to evolve. I think if both people don't recognize that, like you're saying, recognizing that, hey, we're different people now and we're, we're, we're growing up and we have to respect and, and love each other for it or figure out how to adapt our friendship around it or we go our separate ways. And, and it's, you see, do see a lot of friendships change. I think I've only got really one friend from middle school that I still talk to who's back in Minnesota and we keep up on a pretty regular basis. That's about it actually. And I think it's like a miracle. Sometimes I still think it's a miracle that we, her and I are still friends. I think both of us have really matured and grown in like similar ways and we really can relate to a lot of things and talk about a lot of very diverse topics and share our perspectives in a respectful way. And that's how I've changed as a person as well. And she is that kind of person too. And that's how she's grown. And so our friendship, I think, can sustain itself because of that. But there's probably a lot of other people that I wouldn't say that for. I remember being maybe a sophomore in high school and being crushed. I didn't have a childhood neighbor best friend that I was going to have for the rest of my life. And then hearing how people, a lot of people are say, a lot of people are talking about the friends they met in college and those are the lifelong ones it's like but I wanted one since I was two and I thought that was a very reasonable thing to want and now seeing the fact that I have made quality friends throughout high school and college who I do believe at this point in my life will be in my life to some extent for the rest of my life is much rarer than I thought and the fact that I thought because my best friend wasn't my neighbor since we were born growing up together was the saddest part of it is just perspective that I didn't think I would have. Yeah. And I, I know what you mean. Like you think, oh, it's a great thing to have this person in my life that I've known forever. And it is. And I will say that I have met some people in the past couple of years and especially within the last year who I feel are my people just some of the closest friends I've probably ever had they get me on a deeper level and I think maybe that is because of again going back to the way that I've changed and evolved as a person and into adulthood and the things that I've gone through in life some relationships and some people just don't really fit anymore you realize that and you start realizing who the people are that you want in your life it's funny too because talking about a show like Gilmore Girls I find that every time I go back and watch episodes of it I start to I still love it. I still love it. It's still my comfort show. I definitely have started to relate to it less and less the more I watch it, I think, and the more life that I experience. What do you find with that? One of my favorites, which started in the 80s, but then came back was Degrassi. It's Canadian. And that was a group about this high school. And one of the things I loved about the show is they had actors around the same age as their characters. So their actors played 13 through 17, which was the demographic of the show. And that show I loved because it dealt with everything from school shootings to trans people to gay people to STDs to abortions to like everything. And I think they did it in a really way where similar to Grey's Anatomy, where it happened because it's who the humans were and the human happened to be black and this is what their story was. Not one of the things I love diversity. I'm big on inclusion and I think it needs to happen more. I am not a fan of when I feel like it's done because it's the new standard. I think some forms of media feel it's necessary and then it tokenizes that person more. 
So I think it's good that shows are heading that way, but I think it's not just about the content being put out, it's about who's putting out the content. For example, if you're doing a show like the show Blackish, which is one I actually really like to watch, it's really funny, which is, I believe it's a black creator, um, showrunner, writer, has a 70% white audience. So even though it is a show run, organized by black people, it has a dominantly white audience. So I don't think at all they're placating to white people, but I think there's a reason that show is more palatable for white people than another show with an all-black cast. I'm thinking as you were talking that I probably would have never actually gravitated towards shows that would have, when I was younger, addressed any of those issues because it wasn't something that I was really as aware of. And I was growing up in a totally different, you know, culture around me I guess than what I have now or what I'm interested in now and you know my worldviews and perspectives and have just changed so much and been I think more opened up and so I now would gravitate more towards things I think that would speak to more of those issues versus when I was younger and I didn't really that wasn't even really something that was on my mind I was like oh Gilmore Girls oh fun entertainment you're just watching you know you don't really think at least I didn't I didn't really think about it very much I wasn't probably as conscious about what I was consuming in that regard. It was more just about what I liked and what made me feel good. And now I'm like, okay, like what else is there out there that's not quite the same thing that I've always just gravitated towards? I'm very fortunate in the way I grew up with a lot of diversity and inclusion in my family. Not to like go through the list, but most marginalized communities other than indigenous, I have some member of my family who will fall into a marginalized community. So I really grew up with that being the norm. And what I unfortunately had the thing of learning is I understood things like race from a young age. Like I'm Asian. My mom is Jewish. I have a godfather who's biracial And I knew these things, but they didn't carry weight. And unfortunately for me, going to school and interacting with other kids outside of my family gave it the weight. I learned, I think like everyone, I learned racism because other people cared about the way my family situation was. I didn't care. So for me, I loved Gilmore Girls. I think, again, the writing to me is just so brilliant. And I love the pop culture references. I love the speed. But I also watch shows like Degrassi, even ironically one of the shows I also loved was Seventh Heaven which the reason I got into both the the reason I got into Seventh Heaven and Gilmore Girls was actually because Hillary Duff said it in an interview and I loved Lizzie McGuire but Seventh Heaven dealt with a ton of issues and I think for all of its flaws and I'm I'm fully aware of the flaws of some of the cast members on that show certain lessons like interracial marriage and dealing with Muslims after 9-11 and dealing with guns in schools and bullying and teen pregnancy were handled in a very age-appropriate way and a very family-friendly way to start conversations for its time. Again, can do better, should do better now, but I always liked shows that did have elements like that. When my family used to buy me toys, the reason I got a particular toy is because there was an Asian kid playing on the box. And it wouldn't have dawned on me otherwise, but my family made an intention to get me toys that I could see myself in, which I didn't realize was an effortful decision until now and realizing that without that effortful decision, how so many other kids grow up 
without dolls that not only look like them, but that look like the world we live in is such a choice for parents and a choice that parents should be making for our world. Yeah. I live in Australia. I mean, the U.S. is very diverse as well. But I will say, I think I've been exposed to far more diversity living here than I was in Minnesota because where I lived was like a predominantly white suburban neighborhood. I mean, I definitely think when you're younger, anything that's going on in your direct surroundings is the largest deal from saying no ice cream tonight for dinner. So putting in something complicated like race into the mix when everyone's already doing life at such different points and such different things, intentionally putting something like that in when the biggest thing for you is that you can't go to baseball practice tonight is just hard. One social media friend from college had a baby during the pandemic. And something interesting that she was doing is children can recognize race as young as six months. And because we were in the pandemic, she was buying a bunch of books of different ethnicities for her child because her child wasn't going to be seeing different ethnicities in the world because they had two, this child had two white parents. And I wouldn't have even thought about that with the pandemic of those formative years of when your child would be exposed to different things, even on walks, like they might not see anyone who looks different. And that exposure should start early in terms of brain development. So just realizing like, wow, even how that's affecting children in the pandemic and how that will have a lasting effect on whatever this generation turns out to be. So crazy how many, I was actually just talking with some friends about this last night too, how many impacts, like far and long reaching impacts the pandemic will have that we just don't even realize yet, like years and years, probably generations from now, kids who are growing up during the pandemic who couldn't go to school. And I saw, I read something about body language as well. And a lot of the kids who aren't in classrooms and physically Mm -hmm. around other people aren't going to know how to read body language and interact on that, that like interpersonal level that's not just through a screen. And yeah, and I wouldn't have even thought of, yeah, being exposed to other people and diversity and seeing just actually seeing that and being around that is something that a lot of kids haven't gotten to experience in the last year and a half. I heard that about Zoom learning how the screens can't pick up as well on social cues as kids can in person. So this entire class will be delayed in that. And I was like, oh, wow, that that's really impactful for kids right now that they're not learning social cues as well because of the way seeing someone virtually doesn't translate. And that's if cameras are on with people in your class, I'm assuming for older kids, that's if you're choosing to put your screen on. It's just even stuff you wouldn't even really think about, but how these kids are going to grow up with this experience. My generation is still seeing impacts from the 2008 recession. So one of the things while I'm on this fun job hunt is every sort of beginning entry-level job asks for three to five years of experience, which most people out of college don't have three to five years of experience. And what I've been hearing is the reason for that is during the 2008 crash, a lot of people who were laid off were in that mid-tier of three to five years and a little bit, I guess we'll say three to seven, took jobs below their station just so they could pay the bills. And that still trickles down to now we're in 2021. 13 years later... And the co- there's nothing to mend that gap for students coming out of colleges and jobs asking for this three to five years of experience, which happened because of what happened 13 years ago. That is crazy. I have well, I have so many feelings about companies asking for a certain number of years of experience 
for their candidates. I don't necessarily agree that that's always the qualification that someone needs to have to be good at a job. And I think it becomes a huge barrier for people to be able to get jobs, especially when you are just coming out of school and when you are or you're changing careers. I have done a couple of career changes and it's the same thing. Okay, well, I know I don't have five years of experience in this specific field or area, but I do have several years of experience previously doing this other thing that is different but still related and there's still skills you can bring in you have to get really creative about when you're applying for jobs and definitely going back to that whole deterring people typically females are the ones who are getting deterred from that three to five years i know it was like lean in the quote that i heard that just drives me insane women apply to jobs when they meet 92 percent of the qualifications i think men at 60 and then i have friends who've worked at staffing agencies and think they're like, oh yeah all of these People, typically men, will apply nowhere meeting it. And the one woman who does who's overqualified, so she gets knocked for that. I don't know what part of the brain that is. I would like try to strengthen that part of the brain that's like, yeah, you don't meet nine, you don't meet a hundred percent, but you meet enough. So the theme of your podcast, which by the way, that is also my favorite Gilmore Girls episode. Whenever I just feel like I need some good comfort, I put on, I go to Gilmore Girls and I literally put that episode on with the life and death brigade it's a great episode and i always loved it because of that sense of adventure there was just something about that that always really resonated with me and i love that you based your podcast around that ready for anything and i was going to ask you how how you feel like that theme has played out in your life this idea of being ready for anything um it's season five episode seven you jump i jump jack which is another reason i love it big titanic fan so the fact that that I watched it so many times on repeat I stopped crying because I was so desensitized to the entire thing yes 100 yep me too saw it 10 times oh in the the oh wow that's more of a commitment I just watched oh wow that is a real commitment but in terms of being ready for anything something through life and things that I'm realizing through therapy and through just kind of everything I'm doing right now is Ready for anything is a subjective concept. I You're never ready for anything, but if you wait to, you can't wait to be ready. It's kind of like one of the phrases I first heard it was like, you're never ready to be a parent. And then I realized how that trickles down to everything. You're never ready to start anything new. I always say if she starts a cult, I will join Brene Brown when she started her podcast. She talks about FFTs. Yes, I love that episode. But effing first times and kind of the struggle and the hardships around just kind of getting going and how she feels about all of that. And so realizing that you're not an expert and you're allowed to give yourself grace, which I think is the hardest part. The hardest part that I've realized in terms of being ready for anything and I think just as I've gotten a little bit older and removed from school is like, I'm putting boundaries in my way and that's the thing that's I think is the hardest part about being ready is when you really break down whether I am in CBT therapy so cognitive behavioral therapy where there's a lot of worksheets and there's a lot of whys and like breaking down to what your root beliefs are because your beliefs are what creates your thoughts which is how you change your thoughts and your feelings so being able to break down those things and realizing well I can't do this because of this. It's like, well, why? And realizing when it comes down to it, it's like, I don't think I'm ready or I'm scared or I'm not perfect enough or I have imposter syndrome or whatever it is. I 
for me to be ready is just for me to decide to do something which is kind of where the podcast came from Angela and I both in the respective places in our lives kind of feel like decision fatigue and like everything is open to us yet nothing is open to us and realizing that in that choice we have the decision to head forward or to not which is just which is still a decision my mom always tells me not doing anything is still a decision not making a decision is that is your decision and I'd rather make a decision than to just kind of let life happen to me which I think is my part of what I'm trying to do with the podcast. You really aren't ever truly ready. You just get to a point where you move forward or you stay where you are. And I'm with you. I would rather move forward. I'll be open to whatever happens as a result of my decision to move forward. And another quote that's really gotten me is it's in one of Renee Brown's books, done is better than perfect. Yes. Which is thing that, which I just have to remind myself of because you get more done if you're not trying to do it perfectly. And similar to being ready, by the time you're ready, you're kind of past the point of when you should have done it because you've built it up so much. Even with something exciting, like even with something, graduation, prom, something that's been so built up. My college every, we were on quarter system, so every quarter would throw a huge concert. And the week leading up, they'd release the band drop. My friends and I would plan our outfits. We'd all get ready. We would pregame together. It would be so much fun. Something inevitably happened. Whether one of my friends got hit in the face, someone was dehydrated because they went to school in the desert, people got into fights, people couldn't find people, cell service was down. Something would always happen. And it was like, we, like, by the time the thing happened that you were so excited for, it's not what you wanted because it was so built up. So when I went to um, Outside Lands, which is like one of the big concerts in the Bay Area, I didn't go for the music, which is kind of controversial, but all my friends wanted to go. So I went for them and I just let them drag me to whatever stage they wanted to go to. I got some good picks. I got to see my friends for a weekend and I had a blast because I had no expectations for any particular thing because I was going for my friends and going for the experience of trying one of these three days concerts out. And it was so much more fun than when I had planned and prepped and gotten everything and tried to organize it because things inevitably go wrong. And when you're not planning for them to go wrong, they're not actually going wrong because you didn't think they would go wrong. Yeah, I'm I'm loving that perspective. I'm much more inclined to follow that thinking as well because I've had a lot of situations, including some recently, where I've probably had expectations or built things up and they didn't turn out the way that I thought they were going to. And I'm starting to realize, and I don't think having an expectation is a bad thing necessarily. And in, in, in a lot of ways, it is good to have expectations. And, and it's then good also to communicate those expectations. You go into something with an open mind and less attached to a specific outcome. And then you end up having far more fun, enjoyable experience. And because you weren't really attached to one specific thing happening, you're just really happy with whatever happens, truly. You're truly just open for anything. I think people are afraid to ask for what they really want. So a lot of asks are things that aren't the, the crux of what we actually want because we're afraid for that thing. And because we're afraid for that thing, the things we ask for and the amount we put on other people is not fair because we're really vulnerable and afraid to ask what the actual ask is like if the one thing you I wanted at this concert the one thing I asked for is like I wanted like a, I wanted my hair braided in those little cute festival braids and to get a picture that's the one thing I wanted and I made it very clear to my friends that 
before we go in, you will be taking 100 pictures of me. And then for whatever rest of the day you want to do is on your own. I want a group picture and I want a picture of my outfit. Free for all it after that. And I was very satisfied with that. And I was very able to let everything else go because I asked for what I wanted, even though I knew everyone would be like, okay, mom, like, we'll take the group picture before we go all have fun. Like, like, yes, that's what I want. Especially since I was hosting everyone, I thought I had the right to pick. I want a group picture every single day. Then y'all can go do whatever you want and I'll be fine. But I think getting and being aware, I think, is the part of having the self-awareness to ask for what the true need is, is what will help with everything else in terms of these situations. Yeah, I totally – I've noticed a lot of situations with myself where I haven't even been doing that. And it's so funny too because I know this. I always know this in the back of my head. And then another situation will play out and I think, okay, I definitely should have made something more clear. And in, in the times when I do do that and I do make – you know, make the ask or just come straight out with what I want or what my expectation is, then yeah, everything just goes so much better. You said what you wanted and then you, you, everyone respected that and helped you have that thing and that experience. And then you could go along and just enjoy the rest of the weekend. You weren't like frustrated because you were keeping something inside that you couldn't say. I think we think we're all better actors than we really are when, I mean, everything reads on my face and my friends know this. So if I was upset the whole weekend, they would know. They would very quickly, they're well, what's wrong? Nothing. Like, we're having fun. It's like, what's wrong? Like, I think getting to that space is where I've seen these things like, would you take back 2020 if you could? And that's a really painful question to ask. I wouldn't. I, I don't think the amount of growth and the amount of things I've gotten from this year outweigh what I lost. But that's a really unfortunate thing because we all lost a lot this year. We did. We did. And actually, I think it was a Brene Brown. I actually think it was an episode of her podcast where she was talking about grief last year during the pandemic. And she was talking about how we're all grieving something. It might not necessarily be what we think of as obvious grief of like losing a loved one or something, but we're all grieving the loss of our old way of life. And I'm with you. I had last year was incredibly difficult for me. And I still wouldn't take it back. I couldn't be where I am today without 2020, as difficult as it was in certain points. You know, I I really think that in terms of social interaction, meeting people, having new experiences, seeing new places, last year was a loss, right? I didn't get to do any of those things. Although I will say I did meet new people online, but just not in person. And a lot of those are friendships that I still have now, like have carried all the way through last year. But in terms of personal growth, resiliency, mental strength, starting my business, my podcast, all that stuff, oh my goodness. And I found a way to be creative even amidst the constraints of what I had during the pandemic. Like all of that stuff to me is so valuable. And I couldn't have done all of that had it not been for the pandemic. And I also grieve the fact that I was locked down and isolated and by myself and I couldn't see anyone or do anything it's really really restricted what it did was because of that grief and because of it you opened up and were vulnerable in a way you wouldn't people wouldn't have been which is why I think relationships really showed what they were they were either really strong or they weren't and if you were making friends during these times you were coming into it with a much more vulnerable open true self because you were 
I don't want to say anyone was desperate, but we were all yearning so strongly for connection. So like I said in the beginning, I've been at home with my mom and something that we realized recently is um, I have a, she worked full time and was a single parent. So my entire life, we've never spent this much time together. And me trying, us trying to re-figure out our dynamic as me being like a young adult and her being my mom, but have being a mom of an adult now really had to stretch during this pandemic and realizing that well yeah no two humans are supposed to make it this long and do make it this long unfortunately like I say we didn't kill each other but a lot of couples started and a lot of couples ended in a lot of relationships of all kind did because I don't want to say nothing can be worse than this year but this year tested everyone in the ugliest way it could people who see the good in that I think are the people who probably made it. What I really learned was acknowledging the pain and the hurt and the loneliness and the grief of the whole year and not being too overly toxically positive about everything because I think there was a lot of that and a lot of like shame around feeling those feelings of sadness or disappointment or despair, whatever it was. So for me, it was really important to say, yes, I felt all this stuff and I am grateful and all of these things did come out of it. So I'm going to acknowledge the pain that I felt and then figure out how to make something from that pain and to see the good in it. And that was a pretty traumatic experience to be locked down like that for so long. And I can still stand here today and say, of course, we had to have 2020. I wouldn't trade that. Something that you said, which is something I've been working on, is you used and instead of but. And that was the thing I've been learning. And I mean, for me, someone I have control issues, type A, like to see things, I see things very black and white. And is something that I've really had to work on this year, especially. It's like, I'm fortunate that no one in my family got super sick and risked with COVID. And my year was still trash. And that's something I think that we all could do a bit more of is being able to hold multiple truths at once and hold our truth and hold someone else's truth and hold multiple truths for ourselves because we're all dynamic people who have more than one feeling at one time and deserve to have the expression and to relieve ourselves of all of those feelings when is appropriate. Yes. Yes, I love that. It's not easy thing to do, but as you're saying, it's it's an and. I am this and I'm this. I am a human being with a complex experience and complex emotions, and I am allowed and should feel all of the things that I feel. I can feel sad and say, this year was really terrible, and I'm not a negative person for saying those things because I think we tend to paint people who talk like that as being really negative but if you're actually just being real you're being human and then I find the people who don't acknowledge those things and who just want to rush past it and be all positive and fluffy all the time I have a really hard time relating to that I still think I'm a positive person even though I still have very human struggles and I think that's just that's the duality of the human experience and why I love people like Brene Brown and, you know, and talking to people like you who understand that. And we don't have it all figured out. It's not perfect. Definitely. And I think going along with that, being okay when people who might be more toxically positive try to shame you and being able to stand with where you are. Because I know when someone's like, you're being mean, it's like, it's like you're being negative. It's like, 
I don't want to be told I'm being negative. I'm, I'm positive. I have, I'm, I try to be optimistic. But I don't need to defend myself when someone's telling me I need to feel a different way. Because if you're invalidating my experience, then you're really not, you're actually being more negative than I am. Exactly. Exactly. We do need to validate each other's experiences and emotions and hold space for each other to feel what we need to feel. Feel it, acknowledge it, cry, do whatever you need to do, and then figure out how to move forward, not letting yourself camp out and stay in that place for too long. Because then I think that is when it starts to become very unhealthy and very toxic. But the actual having of those emotions and acknowledging them is not. And I think this year just going forward is a mental strength everyone should count as a win and the fact that you made it is something that I think when things are hard we all survived a global pandemic where you had to be locked in isolation very confinedly and for me I couldn't I just saw my mom for 300 and I don't know what we're on like 76 days now and we were able to make it through and that's a huge those are huge wins and feats of resilience and mental toughness that should be lifted up and we should remind ourselves. Yeah. Oh, so good, Jay. I love talking about all of these topics with you. We've covered a lot of ground today. To wrap up our conversation, I want to ask you, what is bringing you joy right now? Currently, I got my second vaccination this past week and I have a trip down to visit some friends who will also be fully vaccinated by the time I go down there and just the idea I mean one I'm getting my mom and I are getting space which is like desert we would have taken like down the block but me going away for a few days and getting to just socialize part of the pandemic which was so hard for me is I'm very empathetic and highly sensitive so the idea that not that I would get sick but that I could give other people sickness and knowing that I'm fortunate enough to have something like a barrier to kind of protect me and those around me, especially those I care about and getting to see them still, I'm very excited about. And I think will give me kind of a boost to kind of take on the year for whatever the rest has to come. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so exciting. I hope you have a great time. Jay, it's been so fun talking to you today. Thank you for inviting me on. It was really nice. It's always nice to speak with people who have similar views on life communication, ways to interact and be a good human. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. To learn more about Jay, to learn more about Jay, visit the show notes at heatherashleybaker.com slash podcast slash J spelled J-A-E. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do two things. Head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends and family. Two small actions that have a huge impact so that others can find and hear this podcast. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Until next week, friends.